steps away for each of us because even if that doesn't take place for, you know, many years, we are in his kingdom right now spiritually and we, are, we will be with him in a, in a pretty short time uh, when, relative to all of eternity. And I want to say praise the Lord because, uh, you know, you have a new president coming about that does not share Christian values. You have a very hostile uh, group of people that hate the Lord Jesus Christ. They hate uh, Christianity. They hate Christians because they want to believe they could do whatever they want and that killing babies, for instance, is, should be fine, you know, and, and making up things as we go and pretending we're one of an infinite amount of genders and making and forcing you to accept it uh, or you'll get in trouble uh, and just believe what people are saying, which is totally unscientific, yet uh, you're a bigot if you don't agree that, you know, a, a uh, you know, maybe a white man is really a, uh, a tall white man someday will be considered a short Asian female. And you have to say, oh yeah, that's true. Otherwise you're a bigot. And this crazy world we live in right now, which is so anti-God's word, so anti-science, you know, the whole denial that we uh, have been designed and created and it's just one big accident and nothing became everything, denying the law of cause and effect, or that life came from non-life, denying the law of biogenesis. Uh, brothers and sisters, we are in a really, really wacky world, yet those of us who just go by truth, uh, you're on the outs. And of course, Jesus was crucified, remember that, because of the elites in the world who did not want him to reign over them. So I want to talk about the kingdom of God. And I want to talk about how we should be thankful for the kingdom of God. You know, uh, you don't hear a whole lot of messages on the kingdom of God. But it's something that is emphasized throughout the whole of Scripture. In fact, John Bright wrote, quote, The concept of the kingdom of God involves, in a real sense, the total message of the Bible. Not only does it loom large in the teachings of Jesus, it is to be found in one form or another through the length and breadth of the Bible. And indeed, I believe you could say from Genesis to the book of Revelation. In fact, you could actually outline the Bible from Genesis to Revelation regarding the concept of the kingdom of God. In Genesis, we see the kingdom of God lost, paradise lost, and uh, that we see the pattern of God's kingdom in Genesis 1 and 2. We see the, the parish kingdom in Genesis chapter 3, verses chapter 3 through chapter 11. We see the promised kingdom in Genesis chapter 12 through 50. We see the partial kingdom in Exodus through 2 Chronicles 2 and, and pictures of the coming kingdom. And we see the prophesied kingdom from the prophet Isaiah to Malachi and I believe other places in the Old Testament as well. In the New Testament, we see the present kingdom as Jesus declares the kingdom of God is at hand and, uh, and through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we see the proclaimed kingdom in the book of Acts all the way to the book of Jude. And then we see the perfected kingdom, new, the new heaven, the new earth, new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. So, by the way, you and I are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for his kingdom. And as an ambassador, I like to say you never really feel at home in this world. Because this is not our world. Jesus said, I chose you out of the world, even as he said, my kingdom is not of this world. But as ambassadors, we're ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for his kingdom. And you need to take your ambassadorship really seriously. 
Because I'll tell you what, if you were an ambassador for the United States of America and you were in a foreign land, you better be able to explain what the United States is about. That's part of your job. And the values of the United States and, and, and the goals of the United States and so forth. And you better be somewhat of a knowledgeable person on the United States if you're an ambassador for the United States. Well, how much more if you're an ambassador for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Kingdom of God, should you have some knowledge about the Kingdom of God? Not needing to talk about the U.S. so much, but being able to talk about the kingdom of God that you belong to. Would you be able to describe what the kingdom of God is? Would you be able to describe its values? Would you be able to describe what it comprises? Would you be able to describe how you get into it? Would you be able to describe what it looks like? So that's why I've done this message called Understanding the Kingdom of God. So I want to encourage you because uh, knowing that we have a king a king that's not just an ordinary king, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And knowing that his kingdom is coming and knowing that we already belong to it if you're a believer and we are citizens of heaven, the scriptures say, and our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a lot for us to rejoice in, that our God is in, on the throne. Could you imagine how tough it was? I mean, I know there was a lot of crying, a lot of whining, a lot of complaining by a lot of people that hated Trump, but, but can you imagine the place of a lot of people that wanted a pro-abortionist president? That was a big issue for a lot of people who didn't want Supreme Court justices that might come against abortion uh, and that might change Roe versus Wade and say, hey, it's no longer allowed to, you know, or at least put it to the states that federally we're not sanctioning the mass murder of little babies anymore. And, and also you have to put up with Trump. And, and I know Trump had some problems. He had a lot of reasons not to like him as well, you know. But there were, a lot of, there were some good things as well that he stood for, of course. But can you imagine being a liberal and being anti-God and anti-Christ and wanting babies, the insurance of babies be killed, uh, wanting the end of uh, traditional biblical Christian marriage and so forth. And then you have to put up with Trump and there's no hope beyond, beyond that because you're an atheist what, or you're an agnostic or you don't believe there's any hope beyond the grave. Can you imagine being in that world, how hard that was for them? Guess what? For Biden being president for me, no really big deal. Bummer, yeah. Big, big deal, no. Because guess what? Guess who rules over him? The Lord Jesus Christ. Guess who's coming back? The Lord Jesus Christ. Biden's not gonna reign that long. I can bet on that, okay? I don't think... Two terms would freak me out, okay? I know it would be a little, bit, a little bit harder at that point, but you know what? Jesus is a one-term King of kings, Lord of lords, and it's forever and ever, amen? So we get excited about that reality. And, but as ambassadors, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's us believers. That's 520. Right before that, he says in 517, if anyone be in Christ, if you're in Christ, it's talking about you. He's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Then just a few verses later, he says, those of us who are new creations in Christ, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, it's like this world is a Titanic and we're appealing to people to be saved because it's sinking and we're saved. We're on the only one life raft which has room for everybody and we're pleading with people, be saved. I beseech you on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you, as it says, the text says in the NASB, to, to be reconciled to God because Christ died for you, paid for your sins. It goes on to say how he became sin for us. He became the sin offering. So we have a job to reach out to the lost. Let's keep in mind, you're going to only really, really freak out if you think this is your eternal home right now. It's not. 
Okay, we're aliens here, the Bible teaches. We're aliens here, and we're supposed to pass our time in the fear of the Lord, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we're supposed to be about our Father's business. Amen? Jesus came. He didn't stay very long, guys. And he came to pay for our sins, and he wants us to know that we're not staying very long. And that's very, very important. Now, it's interesting, a central aspect of Christ's preaching one of the central things that he emphasized over and over again was his teaching on the kingdom of God. There are 60 references or so, right around 60 references through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Synoptic Gospels and the Gospel of John mentions it twice in, in John chapter 3, mentioning the kingdom of God. And that's not counting parallel passages. That's just Statements where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, his apostles talk about the kingdom of God, and these are, there's about 60 passages where it's the main, his main point, the kingdom of God. That's important. Now keep in mind, the Old Testament, the Old Testament looked for the reversal of the curse. Eden was lost. Paradise was lost. And it looked for the reversal of that curse and the kingdom of God to come on the planet and, uh, and to fill the cosmos with ultimately a new heaven and a new earth. And the messianic prophecies are often royal prophecies about this coming king, this Melchizedekian priest. He's not just a royal priest or the ultimate high priest. He is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, the king of Salem, because he would be the king of kings and the lord of lords. And that's why he was from the tribe of Judah, because the tribe of Judah uh, was the tribe from which the Messiah would come, and that was a kingly tribe. King David was from Judah. And it's interesting, in the prophecies about the coming Messiah, which we see, we'll see a lot of this verse coming, these couple verses that I'm going to mention here in a couple months regarding Christmas, because there are messianic prophecies regarding uh, the coming of the Messiah, and it's about his kingdom as well. Listen to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For on us a child is born, on us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Thank you, Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. Jeremiah 31 talks about how in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, how there would come, become, there would be a new covenant, right? And Jesus inaugurated the new covenant last Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. I did a message on communion, on, on well, how we celebrate communion. And if you haven't heard last Sunday's message, I really encourage you uh, to check it out. But Jesus inaugurated the new covenant in his blood. And Jeremiah 31 talked about how this new covenant, and th that there would be a new law. And Christ brought what we call, in the Bible, it's called more than once, the law of Christ. And he is the Messiah. And Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, way back in Genesis, there's a foretelling. There's far more than that in Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis. But in Genesis 3, uh, 15, the Proto-Evangelicum, we call it. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Talking about the serpent. Satan and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And Satan bruised his heel spiritually. He was, he was crucified, literally, because there's a medical condition, the lowest part of your body touching, touching the physicality of something will be bruised. And that was Jesus' heel, literally, really heavy. Even though it's used metaphorically, it was quite literal as well. But he will crush your head. And Jesus crushed 
his head. Satan's still uh, out there, you know, but he isn't able to overcome us through what Christ did on the cross as long as we're trusting Jesus. And so Jesus, as the Messiah, came announcing the kingdom. In Luke chapter 4, verse 43, as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, we read this. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. You catch that? He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. To the other towns as well, as for I was sent for this purpose. So he was sent for this purpose to preach the kingdom of God and also to give himself, obviously, as he says elsewhere, a ransom for many so we'd have admittance into the kingdom of God. Jesus began his ministry proclaiming the kingdom of God. We read in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew 6, Jesus commanded his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We're called to pray for his kingdom to come. Amen? Jesus commanded his disciples to preach the kingdom of God. If you're a disciple, we're, we're called to preach the kingdom of God. Acts or Matthew 10, 7 says, And proclaim as you go, meaning go out to be witnesses, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, some people try to make, uh, especially hyper-dispensationalists, they try to make a distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God as though they're two different kingdoms. Totally false teaching. Uh, and you, it's easy to f- realize why it's false because you can compare the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you can see how the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably over and over again, speaking of the same specific kingdom. Jesus commissioned his 12 apostles to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel, remember, is good news, euangelion, Luke 9, 2. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. One of the main reasons that Jesus gave parables, so central to his teaching was the kingdom of God, one of the main reasons he gave parables was to unveil the secrets of the kingdom to whoever had ears to hear and eyes to see. In Matthew 13, 11, we read this. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, uh, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Jesus emphasized the centrality of his kingdom message throughout his preaching. Matthew 4.23, we read, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Did you catch that? Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We've seen that more than once now. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, when you're seeing you know, the new president, and a lot of Christians are like, oh no, don't forget, God reigns. Our God reigns. He's on the throne. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we have the good news of the kingdom. And let that be a reminder to you that this is not our home and that we need to reach the lost because this world is just jacked up. It's messed up. People need the Savior. They need to be cleansed of their sins. They need to have transformed lives like we do. They need to have the Lord Jesus Christ come into their lives, the Holy Spirit, to live in their hearts so they can have the joy of the Lord, the peace and love and the joy and the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have that. The world's in misery right now. They're all freaking out. They don't have any hope, but we have the great blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? And we need to be sharing that message with others because people are just, they're lost. And it's not just the crisis they're in now. The crisis that they're in now, the hopelessness and despair they have now will continue forever in eternal separation from God and get only worse. So we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, amen? Now it's interesting. 
Notice the good news is connected. You can't disconnect the good news of the gospel from Jesus Christ because the kingdom of God is part of the gospel message. You see, in fact, it's central to the gospel message. In fact, his whole death, burial, and resurrection was about getting into the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus didn't just die on the cross and rise from the dead to save us from hell. He died on the cross and rose from the dead to reconcile us with his father so we can be part of his eternal kingdom. And there's far more to the Christian life than being saved. As awesome as it is to be saved from hell, we're also ambassadors for Christ, servants of the most high God. We are uh, part of a royal priesthood. We are part of a, the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're his servants, we're his ambassadors. And we need to start acting like it and know our identity in Christ that we have so much we could do for him and, and that there's so much joy and fulfillment in serving him. I can't tell you, when you go out witnessing and sharing the gospel of the kingdom, you let people know how to get in the kingdom, what Jesus did for them and how they could be saved. There's so much joy in that. When I share the gospel with people, I just have so much joy. And I hear that over and over and over again from brothers and sisters that are part of this fellowship. As they go share the gospel, they're full of joy. If you're not sharing the gospel, you're not concerned about the lost being saved, you're not lifting a finger, you're more likely to be depressed because you're stifling, you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you know. You're like the, the, the Dead Sea where water comes in. Just like the water of God's spirit comes in, but you, you, you enclose it and don't let, him, you know, don't let him use you. And it's a sad thing, but we're called to be more like the Sea of Galilee, which is so beautiful, where the Jordan goes into it and the Jordan comes out of it. And it's not the Dead Sea. It's, it's living. There's fish there, you know. I've eaten fish from, that, from, from the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's just a beautiful body of water. And that's what God wants you to be. He wants you to be used for his kingdom and it's amazing jesus said in matthew 9 35 it says that jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages right uh, teaching in their synagogues proclaiming proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction matthew 24 14 jesus says in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all the nations amen and then the end will come what's he waiting for he's waiting for us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth and then the end will come that's what he's waiting for. That's why he said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 20, he commissioned them to go and preach the gospel. Verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. He said, go into all the world making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's why we're here. We're here to be changed, become more like Jesus. We're here to give him glory. And we're here to preach the gospel to get people saved as we shine his light. Uh, the central, the, the preaching of the gospel was so central to Jesus that in between his resurrection and his glorification, or I should say his ascension, in between his resurrection and his ascension, that 40 days, you know what he spent doing with the disciples? Talking to them about the kingdom of God. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To these, speaking of the apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. In fact, his whole life was wrapped up, his whole gospel is wrapped up, it's part of the kingdom of God. And by the way, in the book of Acts, you see the gospel of the kingdom being preached. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, you even see uh, Philip, it says, uh, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men 
and women. I love that. I love that. We see that throughout the book of Acts. A major uh, emphasis and central to the apostle Paul's teaching and throughout the book of Acts is the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 20, to the church of Exodus, or church of Ephesus, Paul states in Acts chapter 20, verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. By the way, speaking of not seeing his face again, in Acts chapter 28, the very last chapter of the book of Acts, at the very end of the book of Acts, guess what we read about? Verse 23 and then 31. From morning till evening, Paul, or he, speaking of Paul, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's just amazing. The kingdom of God is all over the scripture. Get excited about being part of God's kingdom and the fact that it's an eternal kingdom and there'll be no death, there'll be no curse, there'll be no sadness, just full of joy and life and peace. Now it's interesting because the kingdom of God and when you read the scriptures about the kingdom of God can get confusing a little bit. It can get confusing because sometimes it speaks of the kingdom of God as being yet future. And sometimes it speaks of the kingdom of God as being present now. And it's like, well, what's going on there? And you have to understand it as a now and not yet concept. If, we are, if you're trusting Jesus right now, you're in his kingdom. You belong to him spiritually. You have been translated into the kingdom of the dear son, it says. You belong to him. He is the king of the kingdom. A kingdom has to have a king. And he's the king. And he's the king over your heart. He's the king over the church. And the church is not the kingdom of God, but is part of the kingdom of God. It's the embassy for the kingdom of God, you know, and a, a, an important part of the kingdom of God where the ambassadors meet and we go proclaim the truth and we're part of the body of Christ but uh, as, as part of the kingdom. But it's far more than that. And you have to understand it as a, a, a now. Uh, the kingdom of God is now, but not yet ultimately fulfilled in this physical dimension. It's here spiritually in that we belong to the spiritual organism known as the body of Christ. And when you come to Christ, you become, uh, you're baptized into Christ, it says. We become part of the body of Christ and he is the head who reigns over us and we're part of his kingdom spiritually. Yet there is a future emphasis on the coming kingdom. The Bible talks about inheriting the kingdom of God still. Amen. Just like salvation. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of the works that anyone boasts. There's scriptures that talk about how we have been saved. Yet there's other scriptures talk about, that talk about, like in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 15, the first couple verses, how we are being saved. And yet the scriptures also talk about how we are yet to be saved. Now your salvation is nearer to you than when you first believed, we read in Romans uh, 14. Uh, the scriptures talk about that Christ came the first time in reference to sin, but he'll come a second time in reference to salvation. So we see the, we are saved, but yet we are yet to have our salvation of the consummation of our salvation in the future. You see the same truth with regard to eternal life. The Bible talks about he that believes in him has passed from death to life. Amen. We have eternal life. These things are written, 1 John 5, 12 or 5, 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
First John 5, 12. He that has a son has a life. He that does not have a son does not have the life. So we enjoy eternal life, right? Amen, right now. Yet the Bible also talks about, and Jesus talked about often, inheriting eternal life as still future. You see that? Salvation, yes, right now, but yet future. Eternal life, yes, right now, but yet future. The kingdom of God, yes, right now, but yet future. We're already in it, but it hasn't materialized in its literal form yet and with everything under Christ's feet. Now, it's important to understand this, uh, this, this future, but this now, but yet future aspect of the kingdom of God. George Eldon, George Eldon Ladd, he wrote a really, really good book, if you could still get it, probably really hard to get, in 1956 called The Blessed Hope. And that was about the Lord's return and his second coming. And it's a book basically defending the, the position of the early church, how there won't be a pre-trib rapture, but the rapture is at the end of the tribulation period. And that was what that little book was about. I read that years and years ago, uh, one of the many books I read on that subject, but it was one of the better books I'd read on that subject years ago, came out in 1956. But he also wrote a lot about the coming kingdom. And, uh, this, the, he, and he, more than anybody, was really able to ar- articulate that I've seen that, f- that, that right now and the future aspects of the kingdom. And George Eldon Ladd, who was a professor at Fuller Seminary, not far from us, when Fuller Seminary was more Christ-centered and biblically focused and bi- biblically sound, uh, they veered off in a lot of ways, sadly. But George Eldon Ladd wrote, quote, Our problem, then, is found in this threefold fact. One, some passages of Scripture refer to the kingdom of God as God's reign. Some passages refer to God's kingdom as the realm into which he may now, we may now enter to experience the blessings of his reign. Still other passages refer to the future realm, which will come only with the return of our Lord Jesus Christ, into which we shall then enter and experience the fullness of his reign. God's reign expresses itself in different stages throughout redemptive history. Therefore, men may enter into the realm of God's reign in in its several stages of manifestation and experience the blessings of his reign in differing degrees. I thought that was very well put. When Christ came initially, that was the inauguration of God's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, when he comes a second time, that'll be the consummation of the fullness, the bringing of the fullness of God's kingdom as we are transformed uh, from uh, these mortal bodies into these immortal bodies like his. Uh, But make no mistake, the scriptures are very clear that if you belong to Jesus, if you're trusting Jesus, you're already presently part of his kingdom. In fact, listen to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. In fact, Colossians 1, 13 is a scripture that I memorized as a young Christian because I was so excited about being in God's kingdom. It says, "He he rescued us from the domain of darkness, from Satan's power, the kingdom of darkness. He, re- he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's beautiful. It's just clear as it gets. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred in the king, into the kingdom of his, the father's dear son, Jesus, Jesus' kingdom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're able to get into his kingdom because we're forgiven of our sins. We've been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. Second Thess- or 1 Thessalonians 2.12 talks about this kingdom that we're in now. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In Revelation 1.6, we read about being in this kingdom presently. 
Verse 6 says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, this is addressed to the church, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth right now. He could just wipe him out right now if he wanted to. But just like they allow Father and Son, Holy Spirit, allow Satan to exist and wicked rulers, so does he for a period of time allow these kings to exist. He says, and it goes on to say, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And let, now catch this, and made us a kingdom. He's made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's awesome. So it's pretty exciting. And it's exciting too because there is that physical aspect of the kingdom that we long for. New bodies. Amen. Christ reigning physically. The topography, the, the geography, the, the, the cosmos will be changed. You know, it, it, it's just going to be absolutely amazing. All of creation longs to be delivered uh, by Christ in the exertion of his power when he brings in the kingdom. But right now, we enjoy the spiritual aspects of the kingdom. We've tasted, as the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, the powers of the ages to come. We taste the kingdom, but we don't have it yet in its fullness. Paul said in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You catch that? The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, as the King James says. So I have that memorized. But peace, love, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, we experience the fruit of His Spirit. We experience His peace, His joy, His love as He lives in us and reigns through us. And so many times people, when they come and visit our fellowship or just become a new part of the fellowship, they're amazed at how much love there is, you know. And it's just a joyful group of people because people are filled with the Spirit of God. They love Jesus. Not, not close to perfect, but it's people that love a perfect Savior who's transforming us and uh, an extraordinary Savior that is doing uh, things through ordinary people, but living in us. And it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. We're crucified with Christ. Amen. And it's no longer we that live, but Christ that lives in us. The life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen? So, we, so the more we live for Jesus, the more we surrender to him, the more we experience the joy of his kingdom and the fullness of his kingdom. And if we get our eyes focused on ourselves and what we're going through and we don't seek Jesus through it and say, Lord, let me live for you and glorify you, you know, we're not going to experience the, the joy of the kingdom the way he designed us to. So we need to get our eyes off of ourselves Say, God, have mercy. Help me keep my eyes on you and live for you because it's all about him. Amen. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. I mean, you can't beat that. To live is Christ and to die is gain. <laughs> you're, you're inconquerable uh, when you're in Christ. Amen. Because of him. You're invincible because he's invincible. You're not invincible, but apart from him, you're just nothing. But in him, your state, your security is invincible if you're trusting in Jesus and following him. Amen. Uh, so love marks his kingdom, you know. It's the central aspect of, the central badge of being in his kingdom is faith in Christ, the blood of Christ, what he's done for us, and the, the fruit of the Spirit. The greatest of the fruit of the Spirit is love. George, George, George Eldon Ladigan wrote, quote, Love is that gift of the Spirit above all others, which will characterize our perfected fellowship in the age to come. This love we now enjoy, and the church on earth will be a colony of heaven, enjoying in advance the life of the age to come. And I like that because what he's talking about, because the Bible talks about two ages. There's this age, over and over, and Jesus talked about this age, and Jesus talked about the age to come, okay? He didn't talk about three ages, you know, he talked about this age and the age to come. And 
uh, ultimately, we're going to be with Jesus forever. But right now, Christians are known, Jesus said, by our love for one another. Amen. And you should make sure as an ambassador for Christ, you don't just understand what the kingdom of God is, but it's being exemplified in the way you live your life. If you're married, the way you treat your wife or you treat your husband, the way you treat your children or your parents, the way you treat your neighbor, the way you treat your enemies, speaking the truth in love. Now, it's interesting because we talked about this present form of the kingdom that we would transfer into the kingdom of, of, of uh, Christ, the kingdom of the Son, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. But there's this future aspect of the kingdom. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We pray for the future uh, realization and manifestation of the kingdom, as I mentioned earlier, when we pray, Thy kingdom come. Amen. And Christ will come and he will reign for a thousand years and then for all eternity. And when Jesus comes back, we will start to enjoy the physical aspects of his kingdom. Because guess what? When Jesus comes back, we'll be caught up. We'll be transformed. Our physical bodies will be transformed by the exertion of power, it says in Philippians 3, and that we transformed to be likened unto his glorious body. And John, 1 John chapter 3 says we don't yet know what we're going to be like, but when he comes, we'll, we'll see him as he is and we'll be like him. Pretty heavy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 50 through 53, uh, verses 50 through 53 of chapter 15, not chapter 50. You're like, where is chapter 50? Man, I'm missing a lot of 1 Corinthians. But uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53. Paul says, now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So wait a minute. We're in the kingdom of God. Yes, we're in the spiritual kingdom. Now he's talking about when Christ comes and the, the literal physical kingdom. Now I say this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all be changed. Okay? Some have that part of the verse on their nurseries. We shall all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, church nursery. That's not what Paul's talking about, though. We'll be changed and transformed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... What? what do you mean last trumpet? Yeah, there's a sequence of trumpets in the book of Revelation. At the last trumpet, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable is put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And this is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And then we go to Revelation chapter 10 and it talks about when the voice of the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God will be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets, like Paul. That's what he says. And it will be done, it says in verse 6. And then uh, when the seventh angel sounds, the mystery of God will be finished. Verse 7. And then you get to the seventh trumpet. In Revelation 11, 15 through 19, guess what you see? You see the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as he would change believers, and he said, my reward is with me. When I, I'm coming quick, my reward is with me. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. When he comes, we get rewarded, we get transformed. And that's at his second coming, the revelation, the seventh seal, I'm sorry, the seventh trumpet is a picture of his second coming at Armageddon when the kingdoms of this world become, and check this out, it says the kingdoms of this, the kingdom of this world, which Satan is ruling right now, will become the kingdom of Christ. Now, aren't you glad Jesus waited? Because one of the three temptations that Satan gave to Jesus was political. When he had been declared the son of God at his baptism there in the gospel of Luke, and then he went out into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days. And Satan first tried to make it very personal and, says, and said to him, you know, if you're the son of God, that, well, I'm sorry, that was one of the temptations. If you're the son of God, trying to get him to doubt who he was in his mission, turn these stones to bread, he didn't. That was personal. It was religious when he said to jump off the pinnacle temple and God will, you know, send his angels to bear the up, that's the, you know, the, uh, 
hit thy foot against a stone. And Jesus rebuked him both times. But the other one was political. And that was when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted to, uh, it says in Luke chapter 4 that Satan showed him the kingdoms of this world in a moment's time. He said, bow down and worship me and all of this shall be thine. He said, get behind me, Satan. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord and serve him only. And, and Satan fled for a time, it says. Now it's interesting because he didn't bow down and take a shortcut. And by the way, if he did, he'd be bowing to Satan and worshiping Satan. And he would have, you know, been doomed. But of course, he's the Lord Jesus Christ and he didn't do that. But guess what? He knew what he had to do in enduring the cross. It says in the scripture in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You know what? You're going to go through a lot in life. You go through a lot of trials in life. You go through some very painful things, you know. You go through things regarding your relationships, you know. You go through things uh, regarding the economy. You go through things regarding uh, sicknesses and illnesses. You go through things regarding uh, just trials that you deal with in, in a myriad of ways that people you feel don't even understand. But guess what? Jesus went through the worst of all trials. And how did he get through it? He relied on his Father. And it says, because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He looked at the big picture. He knew that he'd be in his kingdom forever. And he'd get his bride, which is the church. And guess what? Recognize the kingdom of God. Recognize that there'll be streets of gold. Recognize that there'll be the tree of life all over the place on both sides of the river coming out of the throne of God with 12 different types of fruit. But most of all, recognize that you'll be with the Father. You'll be with the Son forever and ever in glory, beaming for all eternity with incredible joy, with no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more curse. And keep that ever before you and you'll get through any trial that you go through because guess what? There's not just light at the end of the tunnel for us. The light is in the tunnel. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen. He's right there with you. Even when you don't feel his presence, we don't go by feelings. We walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. We trust that the sun is still above the clouds when it's a gloomy, dark, rainy day and we see no rays coming through the clouds. We know it's still there. How much more do we know the Son of God is there when we're going through the storms of life and his promises are yes and amen to those who trust him. So let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and when Jesus comes back at the last trumpet, when, the, when Revelation 10 verse 7 says, when the seventh angel sounded, then the mystery of God will be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Guess what happens? The kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of Christ. We read in Revelation 11 verse 15, then the seventh angel sounded. What happens? And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Not just a thousand years. He's going to reign for a thousand years, but then he's also going to reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty. The one who is and who was and is to come. And literally, in the, this, literally it says in the Greek, who was and is. I'm sorry, uh, who was, but not who is to come. Okay, I think I've got the New King James I'm quoting right here, uh, which adds uh, the manuscripts, don't, the oldest manuscripts don't have is to come because he's done come here. It says, because you have taken your great power and reigned. See, there he is. He's reigning. He's ruling. The nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Armageddon. That's at the last trumpet. The last trumpet's a picture of the end. Just like the sixth seal is a picture of the end. Just like the seventh bowl is a picture of the end. 
So a lot of pictures of the end throughout the book of Revelation. Snapshots, like a reoccurring dream of the end to give us hope and understanding that he will reign. So the kingdoms of this world, it says, will become the kingdom of Christ. And what happens in Revelation chapter 19, then you have another glorious picture of the end. It says the bride has made herself ready. Yes, the church has been there the whole time through the tribulation because in Revelation 19, 7 through 9, the, the bride has made herself ready and she's given white clothes to be, be adorned with white, white robes, which is the righteousness of the saints. The bride's equi- uh, equal with the saints, same, same group. So in saints throughout the book of Revelation, you're looking at the bride, the church. So it's interesting. The bride's made herself ready. Then guess what happens? Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21. You see Christ on his white horse with the armies of heaven coming out. He's coming for his bride. We'll be caught up to meet him in the air. He will reign. A sword will protrude out of his mouth. And it says the beast will be taken. Revelation chapter 19, a few verses later, verses 19 through 21. The beast, the Antichrist, will be taken. And with him the false prophet who did signs whereby he deceived those who follow the beast. And they will both, the two of them, will be cast alive in the lake of fire and their armies will be destroyed and the Lord will call the fowls and the birds of the air to devour in the flesh of mighty men and kings and so forth and devour their bodies. But those two men will be thrown alive in the lake of fire. And then right after that, what do you read? In Revelation chapter 20, we read this. Right after that happens in 19, God sets up his kingdom. And I'll go to verses four through six because we're reading about the kingdom. Then I saw thrones and seated on them were those who had authority to, uh, to judge uh, was committed. And then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. So you got those who have given authority. That's all believers who were given authority. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him, it says. Then those who were martyred because of their faith in Christ, they're like a special group of martyrs that are being highlighted there. And then another special group of martyrs. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life, and listen to this, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Isn't that awesome? Reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Paul says if we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. That's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And they reigned with him for a thousand years, and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So uh, the others don't, don't come to life in the first resurrection. They have to wait for the second resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So Coming to life speaks of the resurrection. When Christ returns, we'll, should be, we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye and we'll reign with him, amen, on the earth. And he'll touch down at the Mount of Olives. We'll reign with, uh, from Jerusalem with Jesus at the Mount of Olives. So we have this awesome aspect of the kingdom of God. Now, there's, the scripture is real clear. We've gone through so many scriptures, you know. But I want to encourage you because there's a lot of false teaching regarding the kingdom that, that, that causes people to tri- trips him up that focuses on one aspect and then puts, pours everything into one aspect of the kingdom. And it becomes uh, a text without a context can be used as a pretext. And that's why when you take text out of the word context, all that's left you is con. Don't be conned, okay? Because there's those teaching right now that this is the kingdom of God on earth right now. And Christians are supposed to take over the planet and take the political sphere of the earth and take the seven mountains, entertainment, you know, military, education, politics. We're supposed to take everything over as though the world's just gonna let that happen. You think the world's in any mood to let Christians reign? I don't think so. Look what they did to Jesus. He said, if they hated me, they're gonna hate you, right? 
Uh, they said they're going to hate you even worse. So hey, uh, it's a pipe dream. If you find yourself reigning and ruling on this earth before Christ comes back, you're reigning with the Antichrist and you've been radically deceived because there will be a false counterfeit kingdom, the Bible teaches. That's why the Bible says the Antichrist will sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God and will exalt himself, exalt himself, oppose himself against anything that's worshipped as God. So he, he's a counterfeit Christ and the false prophet who does miracles to get people to worship him. He looks like a lamb, looks Christ-like, but he speaks like a dragon. There's a false form of Christianity coming and there'll be a false form of Christianity that will deceive many because the apostle Paul warned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist coming will be after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they refuse to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Therefore God gave them over to a strong, or gave them a strong delusion that they might believe the lie because they did not delight in the truth but they had pleasure in wickedness. Do not have pleasure in wickedness. Love the truth. Love the truth of God's word. Don't get sucked up with the, with the leaven of, 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 of Herod or the leaven of the Pharisees or leaven the leaven and desire of political power. We got to rule. Man, Jesus is coming to rule. Okay, I'm not saying not to pray. I'm not saying not to be involved in politics. I'm not saying not to uh, uh, try to be a salt and light in the, in the political domain and so forth, but I'm saying don't have a pipe dream whereby you teach that men are not ushering in the kingdom of God and we're going to rule on earth and we're going to be the head and not the tail before Jesus comes back. That's a false teaching. In fact, it's taught, it's called kingdom now, meaning the kingdom is right now and this is the kingdom on earth and and many of them teach oh we're going to use miracles that just you know we're going to take the wealth of the wicked and give it to the church uh some are involved in what's called the new apostolic reformation which we don't have time to get into we've addressed a a few times in messages not too long ago but uh these are leaders like uh, leaders at bethel over there in northern california with uh bill johnson and others that claim that you know they're apostles and that they're bringing in the kingdom of god and it's a huge deception. There's a lot of alluring music that sucks people in. And they're claiming there's all these miracles. But when you go and look at these miracles, many of these things are false. And some of them might actually be happening. But I'd be very concerned because we did a whole expose on, uh, you know, Bethel. And you can check that out on our Good Fight uh, YouTube site. And we show Bill Johnson of Bethel where the greatest revival supposedly has happened on earth with other people on stage with what's supposed to be a replica of Gandalf the wizard's staff. And they hit it three times on the, and they're like, we got to hit this three times like they do in the movie to get, to end racism. Well, guess what? Didn't end racism, guys. Okay. Because Jesus said ethnos would be against ethnos in the end times. And you're, and and, I thought you were a guy, you guys are really into the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles. I mean, why aren't you relying on the Holy Spirit? Why Gandalf's, Gandalf's, (laughs) who's a wizard, doing witchcraft on stage and after they hit it twice the lady goes no we got to do it three times and then like okay bam you got bill john you're like what in the world is going on and that's it's just going to get worse and worse where you're going to actually see real miracles i believe counterfeit miracles where jesus warned false christ and false prophets shall arise deceiving many and if possible deceiving the very elect matthew 24 verse 24 verse 25 he says behold i've warned you in advance know ahead of time Stay away from this junk, man. Stick with Jesus. Stick with the word of God. Abide in him. Hold fast to him. Amen? That's very, very important. When the kingdom of God comes, you'll know it. Okay? Because guess what? Satan will be bound for a thousand years when Jesus rules from Jerusalem. When, guess what? If you're thinking Jesus is on the earth and the kingdom of God is here, you're deceived. He said, don't think that I'm going to be in the secret chambers. So when they say I'm in the desert, don't go out after them. He said, when I come back, it'll be so obvious to be like lightning shining from the east to the west. Guess what? When you see Jesus, you won't be on the earth looking at him at first. You'll be caught up to meet him in the air. Amen? 
So we'll be caught up in the rapture to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. That's so important, so vital, so important that we understand this. When Christ comes back, it'll be obvious. We'll be caught up, we'll be in resurrected bodies, you guys. But there are those who are falsely teaching in the first century, and God allows this to happen and to show us what it would look like, I believe, uh, that the resurrection had already come to pass. If you look at Hymenaeus and Alexander the coppersmith there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul says they're teaching that the resurrection has already come to pass and over-realized eschatology. And Jesus said, don't think the end. It's the signs of times when they're happening. He said, the end is not yet. They were proclaiming, oh, the resurrection has already ha- come to pass. That's a wimpy resurrection. You got ulcers, all kinds of other problems, and this is the resurrection. Well, guess what, man? Uh, Paul said they overthrow the faith of some. And right now, guess what? You have those who are called full preterists. There's many of them out there. Many of them are reconstructionists, that we're going to reconstruct the world. Uh, this is the kingdom of God, and they're called full preterists. They teach that the resurrection right now, and many of these are Calvinists that are reconstructionists, that has already come to pass. False teaching. You have Reconstructionism, you have Kingdom Now, you have the New Apostolic Reformation, and many of these guys are merging together in certain ways. When Christ comes back and he rules, guess what? Satan will be bound. Is Satan bound right now? No, he's not bound right now. He's very, very active. Unless you think he's got a very long chain and he's allowed to take trips out every few minutes. And by the way, does this sound like what we're going through right now? Listen to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6, when it describes the kingdom of God on earth. The wolf will, will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Later on in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25, we read this, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the dust shall be the uh, the serpent's food, they shall not hurt or destroy in any or in all of my holy mountain, says the Lord. Can you put the lion and the lamb and the wolf together right now? Try that at the zoo. I was just at the zoo a couple weeks ago. You know, we went with, brought the grandkids and everything. We had a great time at the Santa Barbara Zoo. And I didn't see any lion kind of hanging out with a lamb and just licking the lamb like, oh, this is fun. We're buddies now. No, it'd be just two licks and a chomp. But that wasn't going on because they know we're not in the millennium there as well. And they're not even Christians. So how do we get admitted into the kingdom of God? Well, we need to know how to get in the kingdom of God. And we need to know what to share with people, non-believers, so when we represent our King of kings and Lord of lords and his eternal kingdom, as to how they can get in that kingdom and let them know they're on a spiritual titanic, they're going to drown in the lake of fire forever. Here's how you get in. Well, first of all, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. You have to admit you're a sinner. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to admit that you don't deserve life, that you deserve death. Matthew 5, 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to let them know that that doesn't matter how righteous they think they are, they cannot get into the kingdom of heaven by their own righteousness because we're sinners that need grace. And Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. We need to let them know that, hey, you can't just say, Lord, Lord. You can't just pay him lip service. You have to do his will. You have to recognize that you are evil. You have to repent of your will and turn to him. Matthew 3, 2, Jesus said, the scriptures say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Word repentance, metanoia, means to have a change of heart and a change of mind, which leads to a change of direction, which leads to a change of lifestyle. Amen. Matthew 4, 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there needs to be repentance. 
What does repentance look like? Matthew, or Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It means you must become like a child was in the first century who had no rights, who totally relied on his parents. He had totally rely on the Lord Jesus Christ and look to him. In fact, Jesus said to Nicodemus, a religious leader who couldn't get into heaven by his righteousness he warned him he said to him he encouraged him too it says he said to him truly truly this is john 3 verse 3 through 5 truly truly i say to you unless someone is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus said to him how can a person be born when he is old he cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born can he jesus answered truly truly i say to you unless someone is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god you don't only need to be born of water meaning the physical birth nicodemus was talking about there meaning coming into the world through a physical watery birth when the woman's water breaks but you need to be born of the spirit of god that means guess what you need to recognize you're a sinner you need to understand that you need to be born again, regenerated. The, the Holy Spirit needs to come into you and give you new life. Well, how does that happen? Well, he we went on to tell Nicodemus in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So we need to understand that the only way we can get into the kingdom is by being born again. Amen? The only way we can be born again is through putting our faith in Christ who died on the cross and paid for our sins. It was Jesus when it said king because he's the king of the kingdom, king of the Jews, that was his throne. And the crown he had was a crown of thorns because it's there that he did the work of redemption and died for our sins on the cross so we could be forgiven of our sins by turning to him in faith, recognizing we can't be saved by our own righteousness but only through what he did in pain are fine on the cross and paying for everything we've done against God and everybody else uh, and, and saying it is finished to tell us die, paying the whole price so we could be admitted into God's holy kingdom through faith in him. Amen? We have an awesome God. So I want to encourage you guys to be thankful this Thanksgiving that we have an incredible kingdom that we are part of now through faith in Christ. If you have not put your faith in Christ, you need to do that right now. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Do not wait. Do not put it off because you are not promised tomorrow. I want to encourage you right now. Embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we want to be really, really thankful. Amen. Because I want to be thankful that though we have rulers that don't know the Lord, that even pretend to know the Lord and deceive people and are brutal to the most innocent among us, the little babies, we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords coming, amen, and he will reign. And if you could have anybody as your president and you could, you could say, man, I could, you could just pick one person and you got to pick, who would you pick? You'd pick the Lord Jesus Christ, the most loving the most righteous, the, most, the strongest, the most powerful, the most wise of all people is the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what? More than President of the United States. He's going to be not President of the United States. He's king of the universe, amen? And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So be thankful today that he is on the throne. And number two, if you could ask for any miracle, what would you ask? You might say, well, you know, it's Thanksgiving. I want the best meal ever. Well, a lot of people follow Jesus to fill their bellies. That's not going to cut it. That's not that great. There, then it's gone. Well, political power. 
you know? Well, a lot of people followed Jesus because they wanted political power. Okay, a lot of people twisted his name and used his name for wrong reasons. That's, that's not going to cut either. A lot of people followed Jesus because they wanted to be healed. But healings are temporary. Even the resurrection of Lazarus was temporary. You realize that, right? But you know what the greatest miracle of all is? Salvation. Eternal life. Salvation in the kingdom of God. And you can have that through faith in Christ right now. So we should be so thankful that we have the most awesome king and we have Jesus as our king and his finished work on the cross and his kingdom forever and we have eternal life. Be thankful this time of year and be thankful for all eternity. Amen. And keep your eyes and your faith in and on the Lord Jesus Christ. Love you guys. Praise God for you. Press on in him. God bless you guys.